Hello and welcome to episode two hundred and twenty-two of the Creighton Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston, and tonight I'm joined by Hello by Hello. It's Philip name. by Philip War, who's having quite the time of simply sitting still and waiting for the beginning of the podcast. So. You've had a rough start to this week's podcast because you were bitten by a microphone, something I didn't think that was possible. <laughs> and you shouldn't help me. I, you were saying, ow, ow, and looking at me. Yeah, because when it hurts, everyone knows where that is, right? No. Okay, well, but I mean, I had clearly trapped my hand. Somewhere, yes. But it was difficult to... <laughs> but you lifted all the wrong things. <laughs> It was so painful. It was like, uh, um, yes. You're over it now. No. Oh. <laughs> Going in the book. Oh, good. Good. Just us two this mm. week. No. Oh. <laughs> no Toms. One Tom is very far away. The Tom is much less far away, but very busy. Okay. Which one? <laughs> Francis and Senior in that order. Okay. Hmm. Mm. Which leaves it just to you and I, Pip, to oh. <laughs> to discuss the latest video game news. The news of the day. The news of the hour. Mm. You two have also been very far away recently. I have. But we'll get to that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. First, we're going to do some news. Oh, we? Yeah. Is it that everything's being remade? Yes. Okay, sure. Uh, that's the news. Okay, cool. <laughs> no, uh, so uh, Dark Souls Remastered, that's news, is it? Yes. Well, I mean, you don't really need me for this thing. I'm just trying to start a conversation. But, <laughs> but I mean, is it news? Yes. But why? <laughs> well, people like Dark Souls a great deal. But it exists. It they does. They can just play it. They can. You are. I do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the, what's the, well, what's you see, the hubbub? you missed a key word. It's remastered. No one knows what that actually means. Well, no. It's coming out the Nintendo Switch, which makes everyone very excited because then you can walk around with it. Right. Not useful to this podcast, which is about PC games. Okay. And but, not walking. Uh, you can't typically walk around with PC. See, that's a design flaw. If you can, it's called a laptop. You can't really walk around with my laptop either. No, that's true. Um, so no, I mean, I suppose people do, uh, I, I look, Pip, I just want to, I just want to <laughs> do some video game news. It's January. There's not a lot of it. Let's go Final with what we've Fantasy, got. Fantasy, one of them has been re- is being re-jiggered. <laughs> Probably 12. Is it? It's uh, as good a guess as any. I didn't write it down. I feel like it's 12. Okay. We definitely knew that they were redoing Final Fantasy 7. I mean, yeah, but then that's not news then. If it's we not. knew it. So it would have been a different one. <laughs> Any of the other numbers. Incredible if true. But probably not 15, right? Yes. See? Because that's not out on PC yet. Well, oh, well that, mm, yeah, that would just be a master. It would just be the first one, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, they did say that, uh, but they did specify that, I mean, I believe Dark Souls on the PC has been waiting for a patch for a rather long time. Right. So it's good news and bad news at the same time that a different version of the game is just coming out in May instead. Right. This would mark the third time I have bought Dark Souls. Why are you buying it again then? I don't know. But, I mean, are you going to? Yes. Why? I don't know. Uh, should you not interrogate that 
as a purchasing. I like Dark Souls, and I am excited by this because I like it when the bonfire goes whoosh. But I mean, I could remaster everything, and you'd like get into. Can you? Well, I mean, I could just put a bow on something, and you might buy it again. Yeah. If I already like that example, no, that happened once already, and that wasn't a good thing. What if they release the the originals? Yes, I would buy that in moments. There you go. (laughs) Okay, and then what if they remaster those? Uh, Depends exactly what they do. Okay, but if they don't add, like, farting moon rocks or whatever the (laughs) hell those things were. Uh, Perfect, yeah. That's all I want, basically, is the original cinematic edition. Do you want me to just set up a direct debit from your account (laughs) Lucasfilm or uh, Disney. Or that already exists. Okay, sure. Great. Um, the other news. Right. Moving on from... I, I, basically, I just want to gauge your interest Is in this news. Is it the one about everyone having opinions about Mario Odyssey? No. Oh, wait, no, because we're a PC thing. Yeah. Sure, good. The next piece of news is the announcement of the new Total War game. Yes. <laughs> Total War Three Kingdoms. So this right. is which ones? Well, it's three Chinese kingdoms set in like late Han Dynasty China. Oh right, okay. So I mean, but like, <laughs> okay. Off the top of my head, I don't know which Three Kingdoms it okay. is. But no, it's a, it's I just a, I thought that might be. It's a, a fair news question point. to immediately ask. <laughs> okay, it's these three um, because they said last year when they were announcing the kind of the future of the historical Total War games, i.e., the non-Warhammer. Total right. War games. The part of that would be Thrones of Britannia, which is the uh, kind of more focused game about so Dark Ages Britain that they're bringing out. We talked about that on the right. last podcast. But the other one is revealed this week to be Three Kingdoms, which is yes, so um, ancient Chinese warfare, which is right. a, a historical setting the series has never adopted before and has been a rumored setting for it for a very long time. Is that exciting to you? Yes, although actually I'm kind of amazed by just how many they're making. Because Total War is traditionally like a one game at a time kind of proposition. Right. And at the moment we've got like really big Warhammer 2 DLC out in like a week or two weeks. And another Total War game on the horizon this year. And then maybe a third thing coming along as well this year, which is it's a lot of Total War. I mean, it's Total. Yes. So, I mean, you'd think... You're that, right I again. Mean, that feels sort of like in line Total's with Total's pretty their... much an anagram of a lot. Yes. However, are you... Is this... <laughs> How... Hmm. Okay. Sure. Okay, so we got through two out of my three written down news Wait. stories and we've... Uh, pips... I, no, I definitely had a question. Okay, good. I don't know what it was. <laughs> okay. We'll come back to it. Okay. I wrote down three news stories at the beginning of this okay, podcast. Sure. And um, I, I, I am just trying to gauge your interest, which is currently uh, is flatlining, I believe. I'm, help- I'm, try- <laughs> no, I'm trying to help because I thought that Total War would be very much not my kind of thing, but very much maybe your kind of thing. Mm. So I was expecting that maybe you would offer. And I tried to ask a relevant question to like keep y- your stuff coming out of your face and then <laughs> and then you didn't know the answer to it and then it's just been flapping ever since really what my face yeah basically. okay well so i mean yeah i mean i'm i'm interested in a new total game but like i say there's a lot of them coming along i really like the idea of a more focused 
the saga game that they've said they're making. Yeah. And I'm already playing Total Warhammer 2 and looking forward to the expansion things for that. So I, I would like to see them, I'd like to see it more than just like another historical Total War, if that makes sense. Cause I think I've got a finite amount of time to spend on them. I would like to see interesting campaign mechanics or something they haven't done before. Do you think that this is a good strategy? Do you think that... See, this was my question. I've mm. remembered it now. Okay, good. That, um, do these three things cater to completely different markets or is it that they all ultimately hit similar people and thus we will see total fatigue of total war? I hmm. don't know. My guess would be that, like, this is all stuff for the total war fan base mm. right like if anything was going to break them out into a new audience it would be something like warhammer where it's a very different thing from historical battle right yeah. um you know uh, obviously obviously maybe a total uh, you know a, a a chinese set total war game will help them find an audience in china that would be an interesting thing and obviously that's a huge very important territory for games so that might be the business case for doing a lot of different games like this um but you know, from a kind of like who this will reach, I think without, without more information, without knowing if they're doing something bigger and newer with the game itself, it's very difficult to say. I think if they just released three full or like two and a half full Total War games in a year, that would probably be like capacity for how much Total War you people can totally war over. Mm. Okay. The final bit of news I wrote down. <laughs> And to see if this one with this one registers a little blip. Yeah. Is that Subnautica is coming out of early access. Oh yeah. In like eleven days. I know. It's exciting. <laughs> they are they are finally leaving early access after many years at a, a do at Monterey Aquarium in LA, I think. I'm not sure whether to just shun them for the time being because <laughs> I want to go there and I can't, obviously. I mm. wasn't invited. And I'm not there. So that feels slightly... Because I thought this might be the news you'd be excited about, because I know that Subnautica is one of your favourite games the last couple of years. Well, I I haven't actually played it properly in the last maybe year and a half. Mm. Um, I have been... Apologise for the noise of me opening a can of beer. <laughs> I've been trying to stay away from it so that I could actually do the story stuff. Like, mm. I've never really done the story stuff, and I've sort of... Um, when I have needed to dip back into it, I've, um, done it with sort of my eyes half closed to try, you know, to mm. try and, um, stay away from that stuff. And I've never, like, looked too closely at end game things or, you know, like people talking about that kind of stuff. I don't go on the subreddit or anything like that. So I'm actually, I'm looking forward to playing it as close to a new as I can, mm. I think. Like, this must be exciting, yeah. though, that it's actually done. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Um, there was an update which flashed up um, a few weeks ago, I think, called the Eye Candy update, mm. which was very much a kind of, like, final graphics pass, I think. And um, I did look at a couple of the models and stuff, and it looked really cool. Because mm. so, I really loved the art, even when it was sort of not that final stage we should probably back up a little bit and explain what subnautica is now that it's coming out because i know you've spoken about it on the pod before but this is a it's an underwater survival sandbox where you have crash landed in an alien ocean mm. and must survive there are varying difficulties 
and there is now a story mode of some kind that I do not know anything about. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, artifacts and the like, I believe, I remember kind of seeing. More big fishes. More big fishes. Do you not find it terrifying? Why would I? I like the sea. giant fish are terrifying. No. Okay. I like them. I spent the last few days just looking at them. Mm. And I saw some whale sharks and stuff. That was great. Mm. Manta rays. They're enormous. They are. Mm. They're bigger than I thought. Indeed. And I've previously um, scuba dived and stuff. So, mm. yeah. Very much your thing under the sea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, that's... You would be terrified. I just don't like the idea of something big coming out of the sea. But they don't come out of the sea, they stay in the sea. Well, I mean, coming out of the darkness under the sea. Oh, right, okay, yeah, no, you're not going to like the sea. Then, no, that's, really? that, that is that is true. Actually, I like I like it in abstract. But, um, what? I don't want to be in it. Okay. Ideally. So how do you mean abstract, then? The thought of it. Okay, but... But not too much, because that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> I think about it a bit. Okay. It looked like to see it. Oh, like... Over there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you like being on boats? I'd like to specify that I do like to be beside the seaside, <laughs> but not under the sea, where but- the leviathans are. Okay, but I mean... Do I like to be on boats? Yes. Uh, mm, somewhat. Which boats? <laughs> <laughs> I like rivers, fine. So punts. Or like and rowing like boats? Like that Oxford rowing nonsense. Maybe. Well, I mean, yes. No, yeah, okay, that's fine. That's not really, like... You're not scared of Pike? Actually, now I am. <laughs> Good, finally. The last body of water I wasn't terrified of. Um, baths. Baths are fine. Yeah. Okay. Because there's no good. Pike in the bath. How do we end up talking about this? Swimming pools? They're, they're fine as well. Okay. What if there's a wave machine? A little bit scary. Okay. Cool. What if there's a bigger kid? <laughs> <laughs> Terrifying. Okay. What if he looms out of the darkness? The mm. Leviathan child. Mm. Murderings sometimes have nimples on television. That's true. Yes. I'm not helping, am I? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, Subnautica. None of these things happen in Subnautica, though. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> I wouldn't know, would I? I made a garden and then I, and then I stopped playing for the good of my people. I don't know. People? I, well, no, that was just a word. <laughs> you were playing a lot of Subnautica at that time. I was, I was, but yeah, well, I think, I think it will either feel like a totally different game, or it won't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really <Damn>. tired. <laughs> I know. Well, you're very tired because you've come back from America about yes. two days ago. But let's not let's not get caught up on the details. Why would you say that? Because it's true. Yeah, but why did it need to be said as if, as if, like, there's a, as a statute of limitations or jet lag? That's true. That's true. It can hit you a few days later. Right. And it has. Yes. Like a truck. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you've got back from Atlanta. Yes. Atlanta. Okay. I don't know why I said it like that. No. I don't know why I said it like that twice. Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Where, uh, why were you there? I was there for HRX 2018. What does that stand for? The Hi-Res Expo, which is the annual sort of showcase and esports extravaganza that the studio Hi-Res puts on each year. Hi-Res being games. the developers of Smite and Paladins, and now Bot Smashers, and uh, you will always fly the flag for Tribes 
and tribe of descent formally descent, yeah yes. and is it global uh agenda it was their first well. game yeah that was them uh yeah yeah um so i yeah this is the first one i haven't been to i think i've been to all of them since the first and i'm sad not to join you this year it's like they say in pokemon got to collect them all <laughs> That's <laughs> like they say in Pokemon. Famously, you've got to find and keep every single one of them. Have you got them all? They say. <laughs> Have you checked? Do you know where your children are? <laughs> it's eleven o'clock. Pokemon. Um, so you're at High Res Expo. Yes. Um. Collecting did, them all. Did you? Uh, what am I talking about? So I thought we could obviously, you know, there was the esports stuff, um, mm-hmm. but that's not, you know, going to mean loads to most listeners of the Crate and Crowbar. Other than how was it? Um, it was, it was interesting in that it was, it felt this year felt very much not about the esports. If you see what I mean, mm. they were there and they were happening and. They were obviously a sort of a big attraction to people who were there, but it felt impossible to watch Paladins and Smite. Mm. Um, and with the, um, with the stuff that I needed to do for work, which was previewing the new Paladins mode Battlegrounds, which I am assuming is what we will spend the majority of the yeah, time yeah. talking about. Um, between all of those things and keeping an eye on other stuff and, and doing interviews and attending like round tables and stuff, it, it felt the first year that I hadn't been able to settle down and actually sort of absorb the esports. Right. If you see what I mean? Yeah. It's become, it, it, last year it was steadily becoming more of an expo. Mm. And so I guess that's only continued, which makes sense because yeah. it's a sort of, it's becoming they had like a keynote for the first time this year. Right. It's kind of becoming like a mini BlizzCon for them, I think. Mm. His That's the model. No, that doesn't work. ResCon? Hrixcon. Yeah, no. Or High Res Expo, which is the name they've <laughs> they've chosen to give it mm. for this precise purpose. Um, sure. <laughs> we should talk about... So, yes. So, in terms of, like, games coming out of that show, Paladins PUBG is possibly the least surprising, but also, in other ways just to land this take directly in the middle, the most surprising. How both? Because it's an unlikely direction. <laughs> Explain yourself. It's an unlikely direction to take your sort of RPG-inspired team shooter in. Right. But it's also a logical thing to do if you have any game that can possibly be jury-rigged into PUBG at the moment. Well, kind of. Although I think, didn't they register Tribes Royale fairly recently? Did they? I believe that they, changes everything. No, no, as in it was kind of a, because they were using, I think, tribes, uh, art as placeholder right. stuff, but like they, you know, like it, it was a statement of intent that I think was noticed among mm. the community, but I think people weren't sure whether it was another bite at the Clash Royale style, right. like yeah. smite that is confusing. Yeah. cherry, or mm. whether it was like a battle royale thing or whatnot. Mm. Anyway, that's all by the by. Uh, so yeah, the big, the big announcement, I think, out of HRX was that Paladins, uh, which is, um, it's an Overwatch style game, right? 
Like yeah. that's a way of explaining it to people that mm. is understandable. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a class-based team shooter. Yeah. Um, and what you, what you now have or will have is this extra mode where you, uh, buddy up into teams of four. So 25 mm. teams of four. Um, and you get deposited onto a, an enormous map. I think they said it was something like 300 times the size of their biggest previous map. Mm. Um, and, as you might expect, there are loot uh, caches to be raided and other people to be splatted, and the map is uh, gradually shrunk so thanks you, you to play, Killer Fog. <coughs> you play as Paladin's characters, right? Yeah, so uh, there is the full roster of Paladin's characters has been added to the mode, but what happens is you pick from eight of them. <clears throat> So it's very much about sort of maybe pushing people out of their comfort zone, maybe making it into ostensibly it seems to be more about making a kind of slightly more casual pick up and play mode, right. which is also why they've added team deathmatch. They're p- taking out their payload um, huh. mode, which is the least played one. It's the one where all you're doing is pushing a payload yeah, yeah. rather than capturing points and things. Um, and they're replacing that with team deathmatch, which is a very, very pick up and play kind of thing mm. where um, I think the, the idea behind that was very much to um, have something that people weren't also trying to get to grips with abstract objectives right. while they figured out how characters worked. Mm. Um, so there's that one and there's, but yes, uh, there's this battlegrounds mode and um, yeah. So it gives you eight characters to pick from. There'll be two from each of the four classes, um, which are frontliners, flankers, damage and support Mm. um and then you pick whatever you fancy playing whatever fits with your team comp if you are being team minded Mm. and then you are deposited on the map you um you get dropped in a little zeppelin and you the the grid squares on the map you know you just sort of pick one to descend into Right, I see. So you pick in advance rather than dropping out of... Yeah, yeah. So you look at the map and then at the moment it's like a fastest finger first to to just right. select your drop point. Um, and then you you go from there, really. Hmm. And it's the last team standing. So that could be all four of you. It could just be one of you, whatever. Yeah. What, what form does the loot take, given that it's not going to be like traditional like guns and hats and armor and stuff? So you have, uh, I should probably have brought up my little uh, phone screenshots of the Mm. the things, but basically you have four different slots for armor. So I think there's like a a jacket one and some boots ones and a gloves one and a maybe even if you're like a big tree man or something, basically. um, And so you can sort of go and pick those up. But when you s- sort of pick a thing up for your inventory, it swaps the other one into the chest. Right. So you, if you pick up an upgrade for you, but you know that someone else has some really rubbish gear, you can call them over and, you know, get mm. them to switch out and stuff, which is what I started doing with people when I was actually playing with a more vocal 
team, mm. which was quite nice. Um, and, you know, you can also start shouting out, you know, like map directions, you know, north or 120 or, you know, like all yeah. of that kind of, all of that kind of navigational stuff. And for example, um, I was playing with three other people who I didn't know, but they were being quite fun and quite communicative so mm. we dropped and uh we saw that we were actually quite near a different zeppelin that was dropping so we were trying to figure out how to avoid the others so that we didn't get into a firefight before we were ready mm. things like that and um every minute i think a purple sort of legendary loot thing drops a chest drops right and so you can kind of see them from quite far away and you need to make decisions about whether you want to go and open it or whether mm. it's better to sort of stay behind because it might be a trap or it might be that someone who already has legendary gear is, you know, already yeah. over there. And if you die, you, you're, you become like a chest of all of your items so people mm. can like pick up your stuff. So towards the end, you know, you might see someone with all four legendary slots right right because they've picked up all of the stuff that other people have found or other people have dropped or whatever right. um one of the things i think that sets it apart apart from the team-based side of things is um when you get killed at the end you could actually be revived like uh -huh. you turn into a chicken at the, so okay. So when, when you say at the end get, what do you mean when you get killed right as a person or as a champion rather um if all of your hit points are removed you, your model swaps out for a chicken that okay. runs around and freaks out and gradually you know loses hp until it either dies or it hits the fog of war in which case it is immediately annihilated or a teammate revives you right that's the same as pubg is it yeah i didn't know well, you uh, well not a chicken but you if you if you're playing with a team you get downed when you die oh, and you just that. crawl around on yeah, the ground. And I've if, only ever played it like solo. Right. If you're playing solo, then you can still be, you can killed when you're downed if someone keeps shooting at you, yeah. but you have a chance to crawl behind cover or something like that. Fair enough. Um, I think they were saying that that, that came from like a ward skin, like a, a ward skin in Smite. Yeah, I can believe it actually. I mean, cause it's interesting because given that the, the number of characters is so much more visually diverse than PUBG or even Fortnite, mm. which are all kind of just humans running around it strikes me that they wouldn't want to do loads of new animations for this and paladins as it yeah. exists has no like downed state animation yeah, for like its characters yeah people whatever. crawling so so yeah they swapped it for just everyone just becomes a chicken, chicken. <laughs> yeah. yeah and it was you know it makes sense and that is what they were sort of saying about it and as a chicken you just run around you can't even peck <laughs> just sort of you like complain? did you complain bumbling around um well i mean you know i'm hoping that given it's only in pre-alpha at the moment that pecking will come yeah and maybe my um change.org petition <laughs> on the subject uh anyway yeah so that's certainly a thing that is part of it uh, <laughs> yeah no i'm just trying to think what else you might mm. want to well, know what, what were your impressions you know you said that you played it but i remember speaking to you about it not soon after you'd not, not, not long after you played it and you seemed quite positive well, so it was, I think, as somebody who really, really doesn't enjoy that armor type, like, military soldiery sim. realism. Well, not realism, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, kind of, like, slightly grim. It's quite sterile. 
Yeah, or like it's just not very nice. I just don't like it. Whereas this is like bright wizards, <laughs> like flashing <laughs> lights. <laughs> I quite like that. Um, and also, I think because there's a place for my style of play rather than like people who are good at shooting. You know, like Grover mm. was one of the most popular and Grover's of support. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do find that concept really interesting. So I was asking about it because it's kind of like, is this just like the um the are, are you going to lose the team aspect because people all just want to be the last one standing like if they are it makes sense to be a damage dealer right right yeah so and i guess we'll just sort of see how that shakes out like whether people kind of go oh you know i i did start playing like that but then to actually win we need to be a bit more team oriented or whether it ends up being like this is just the mode where everybody who wants to play something with a machine gun or a sniper mm. goes or, you know, all of that stuff. So, yeah. It's um, funny though, cause like, you know, I can see something like healing abilities or grab abilities, crowd control, those kinds of effects being like changing the dynamic of a, a battle royale game quite dramatically. Mm. Like even if you're playing solo, a self heal like takes like, does, do you find when you're looting those chests and, and going through buildings and things, do you find like healing items at all? Um, Are you reliant on that for healing? I can't remember. I honestly can't because it was stuff like um, the ones that I can remember are things like your mount moving a certain percentage faster right. or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I do know that they are initially at least intending to have the same card system as in other paladins right. modes so you create um decks of cards based on the builds that you like or the play styles you gravitate towards or might need in a particular circumstance right and you also augment that with um picking a legendary card for more of a boost in a okay. particular direction so so there would be theoretically elements there anyway that, mm. that would boost or you know change the stats on your abilities and on your character so cool yeah no that makes sense i'm basically just curious because like having a class system is something that i haven't seen these games really do like fortnite has its building system and um, PUBG has its sort of being the default thing and yeah so the presence of yeah like stuns and and healing powers and things like that would actually add quite a different dynamic to every way of playing that game not just um not just team comp, but like maybe it's a good idea to be a healer in solo because you're not as reliant on loot. Yeah. So you don't have to put yourself at risk. So there are things like that. And also just the fact that like, if you're a sniper, that's great if you're on, you know, open terrain and whatever. But as soon as you're in a cramped building. Yeah. The fact that you can't change as well. Whereas PUBG, you can take the gun of the last person you killed and suddenly now you're a sniper or whatever. Yeah. So those kinds of things are, are interesting. I think it's one of those things where it's frustratingly hard to get more than a glimpse of what they're going for because, um, with the way that the expo halls were laid out, there wasn't actually space for a hundred PCs. So, right. Most of the time, I think it was playing with about 40 people on, mm. which, as you'll realize, means that it takes a while to get going. There's a lot of, like, just hiding or walking or whatever, mm. running around, or 
galloping on your mount or whatever um and collecting loot for a while until suddenly you reach kind of critical mass once the map has reduced mm. um and can start actually having those encounters and stuff um so the balance was obviously off for that um they had a few show matches which i enjoyed a lot more because obviously the pacing felt a lot better mm. and a lot sort of more like you were actually able to start thinking strategically from pretty much as soon as you got into the game right yeah um but also it is in so much pre-alpha right because like the map itself isn't finessed you know like there's a lot of duplication of assets and you know mm. a lot of sort of blank space almost it feels very sparse and you know it was we were playing without like the loadouts and stuff on it was just auto like giving you the automatic card loadouts and stuff and obviously it hasn't been particularly like balanced and stuff because they've only been internally testing it and to do that they need like a quarter of the company to Mm. to log in and play right yeah yeah like i think at this point it's very much a kind of We'll just get it into people's hands and then figure out what works and what doesn't. So yeah, what's their plan for a making it available to people and b kind of time time scale for that kind of thing? So in terms of PC, they were saying that the plan is to get it into players' hands in some form by the end of Q1, by the end of right. March, right? But actual details on what that will be, because Paladins itself is still in early access. So huh. the fact that this is a mode within that sort of muddies that water a I bit. Sp- I suppose it doesn't, doesn't, because if, if an early access game is expected to change and gain new things, right? So Well, it is, but it means that talking about the mode is a bit odd, because it's like the mode won't be finished, right? Until right, yeah. The game or, well, I mean, the mode will never be finished because the game will never be finished because it's one of those games as service kind of. Yeah, it'd be interesting process. to see what happens with that because obviously, basically, what happened to Fortnite is they thought they were making this particular like day and night zombie survival co-op game. Turns out they're making a battle royale game mm. because <laughs> it just became that mutated yeah. into it. Well, I, you know, I'll be super interested in that because I mean. I've had that conversation with them before about Smite because Smite has several different game modes and obviously if you fracture the player base too much then queuing becomes a massive problem matchmaking is an associated problem because there's you know like you can reach the point where there are too few people queuing for a thing to either get into a match quickly or to get into a properly match made match Mm. so obviously that's a something that's maybe a concern but i mean given the popularity of battle royale stuff at the moment the fact that this is actually doing something i think genuinely a bit different yeah yeah. and that the game itself is free to play whereas some of the alternatives just aren't right yeah yeah well that was Fortnite's trick right it's like we were the first to be they were the first to be free PUBG. Mm. And they've reaped the benefits of that. And by all, by all means, it's apparently good as well. I've actually played it. But yeah, there's certainly a huge benefit to that. Yeah. So. yeah it's easy to be cynical about this kind of thing when it sort of comes along and it's like, this is the hot new thing. And, you know, mm. we, okay, we're doing that now, I guess. But if it works, then. I'll be more interested to see what it 
actually does to the game, like whether it ends up just skewing it entirely to, like you say, yeah, to, this is Paladins now. To this, because the other thing is that Siege is kind of the core mode, right? It's the right. core competitive mode, but they were also showing this stuff as show matches and casting it as as a competitive thing, right? Like yeah, people yeah. whooping and hollering and forming teams and following, you know, like someone around the map and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Like there were sort of crescendos of action and whatever and skill mm. and so on. So, you know, I, it's too early really for them to say, cause obviously, you know, if it takes off, it takes off. If it doesn't, then all of this becomes irrelevant. Right. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I I would be fascinated to see whether next year, whether Siege is still the core mode of Paladins. Yeah. And whether they make this a particular, like, eSport in its own right or try to sort of fold it into that milieu, which is already kind of hard to, to follow at the event, right? Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, like, because I sort of... I trust high res to do interesting designs. Mm. I don't fully trust them to do original designs. Mm. I think that's fair. I think mm. they would think that was fair because they tend to do interesting things with other people's genres. Interesting twists on yeah. a thing. Right? Like Smite is probably about as original as it gets taking kind of mobile format and, and translating it to third person sort of action controls kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, last year when we were at high res expo, it was all about what, Smite Rivals. And Hand of the Gods Tactics. Tactics, is, yeah. yeah. Tactics, slightly more original because it kind of exists in, um, it's, well, it's a card game. It's a Hearthstone inspired card game, but it was on a, a grid. It's just sort of, it was to its kind of, it was, I think it was an, an unlucky instance of parallel evolution that it arrived not long after Duelist. I was going to say Duelist. Um, so, yeah. so they kind of look very similar. Um, and then Smite Rivals, which was um, a sort of uh, derived Clash from Clash Royale, which again, and all of these games have their own identity distinct from their clear source of inspiration, but their clear source of inspiration is always something that has recently been extremely successful on those platforms. Mm. Um, and this is, you know, it's interesting. Like, it's very easy to be cynical about it. It's very much the model for game development in other parts of the world, particularly China. Like, this is how game development works. You see, take something popular, you do your interest on it. Mm, I think it's interesting because it's sort of, it makes the business reality of game development visible in a way that I think is unpalatable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To a lot of people. And I think it makes it hard to sort of, evangelize their games if you are a fan without feeling like you're on the back foot or on the defensive yeah, or the, I've written yeah. about that before like, mm. this idea that even if you do like the stuff then it's sort of presented in a way that doesn't make it easy for a fan to, to yeah to not have to constantly answer for the game the reason it's happening is not a mystery right mm. you know and it would be very hard to buy the line oh we just happen to be desperately want to do this one day you know what I mean? It's, it's, it is clearly business led to some extent. They were open about that. Yeah. Like, you know, they, they typically are, but it's still be a right that that's still impartable to people, I think, rightly or wrongly. Mm. Yeah. I suppose it depends just how you sort of read the direction overall, I guess. Mm. Like I'm more positively 
disposed towards it because I think that the games themselves have genuinely been fun to play and have like offered something different but it that doesn't mean like not acknowledging the problems that that come with that right yeah it's just it's a strange set of problems for a company to have and they've had it for years mm-hmm. like um you know paladins i thought last year was um i don't know where overwatch is at now but i, I do think paladins is a better spectator esport than the overwatch is well we'll um, see because the overwatch league started yesterday so well yeah but you know for me they still haven't resolved the the problems i have with overwatch as an esport and obviously the marketing budget is vastly different and the the, the sort of the um the uh the visible impact of the investment in Overwatch is very much more present in the game. It feels like a higher quality thing than Paladins does. Um, but in, on specifics of design, I'm, I'm, I've often been quite impressed by what high res do. Mm. It's just that, yeah, there's always these little bumps on the road. The art style is another one that always these bumps on the road to sort of being able to kind of easily recommend their games to people mm. because a, the business model is always quite transparent and B, they don't tend to look as good as their competitors. Mm. But yeah, Interesting because um, I also played the um, the new Conquest map, the new version of the Conquest map, map which is which the is, yeah. main smite sort of competitive 5v5 um, thing. And I thought that was actually really pretty. Like mm. I, I, I liked the changes that they'd made and stuff like that. So I will hopefully be able to carve out a little bit of time for that to see whether it sticks. Mm. Um, it hasn't. I'll be honest, in, in recent times, like I just don't particularly enjoy playing Smite yeah. anymore. Um, partly that's just because I don't really have any friends who play it mm. anymore either. Um, whereas I find it a lot easier to dip into a match of Paladins, whichever mode I'm yeah. titting about with. Mm. So, yeah. Good. Mm. Was it an alright experience though, the week away? Pardon? Did you have a good week away? had an interesting week away. It was very cold and I always get that like dry air kind of static shock from everything. Oh God, yeah. You get electrocuted by everything in that hotel. It's yep. very funny. It's very, well, it's very funny. But I've realized that because when I came back, obviously, um, I found myself hesitating every time I go to open a metal door, like <laughs> handle. Like I, I find myself touching other things just to sort of, you know, mm. let the static dissipate a little before I have to touch the superconductive things. <laughs> so that's been fun. Good. <laughs> I know, just sort of slowly getting mm. back to normal. <laughs> Chris! Ah! You surprised me. <laughs> Why? I'm right you, here. You, you were suddenly very... Very shouty my name. Well, I thought I would inject a little bit of energy because I feel like I ran out of steam with my... Pubga. Your palga. Pabga. Pabga. Chat. Mm. Uh, I think Alice is trying to make plaid bat work. Plaid bat. Yes, but Mm. I didn't think it worked because surely it should be pal bat or Mm. like, I don't... Yes, it's not paladins, is it? But I mean, you know. Anyway, this is all academic. (laughs) Is it? what, What field of academia is this? Uh... Semiotics. Oh, okay. Yes. But I mean, you know. You know, you're not wrong. (laughs) Anyway, Anyway. what have you been playing? So I haven't had loads of time for, for games this week. I've been, I've been reviewing a mobile MOBA. If you want to know how, how dry January can get. A mobile. A mobile. Um, no. No. Um, but. What's it called? It's, I don't want to talk about it. It's called Arena of Valor. Okay. It's, um, it's, uh, yeah, it's 
It's the, it's like the most popular mobile game in the world, alright. Anyway, um, but I have played- Gardenscapes isn't- uh, not unless, It's not the most popular mobile game in this house. Okay, sure. Good, good. But yes. Um, <laughs> but I have played about half an hour of getting over it with Bennett Foddy. What state would you say you are at with this massacre game? Of, I like it of a lot. Bennett I like it a lot. So, so we've talked about it on the podcast before, um, mm. on two separate occasions. I think it came up briefly last week because it's one of the other nominees for the IGF. Um, so I'm basically now an enemy of Tom Francis. Um, the other is that I think it, I think they, the Indicate episode that, um, Zach and Kevin did with Tom. Mm. A couple of episodes ago, they talked about it as a game that was there. Um, and I hadn't. I don't have time to listen to podcasts. I know. Not with all the murder mysteries I've been listening to. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, so I'd sort of had that information as the person who edited those podcasts had that information in my head, but I didn't really have like a, you know, a full sense of what it was. So actually, um, something that uh, I didn't realize is that it's not in, in like, because I always thought of it as being a bit like Quop, because it's another Bennett Foddy game. Right. Quop being the kind of trying to sprint, but each of your body parts is controlled by a different key, which is its form of masochism. Mm. Um, and Quop was an exercise in this sort of mad control scheme. Mm. And so because, so, um, uh, getting over it is a tribute to sexy hiking, which is a game about trying to climb over stuff using only a hammer to pull yourself up. In this, you are a a man who is sat in a big pot of water um, with a... I thought that he was just w- at one with the cauldron. It splashes when oh, you tip it at certain angles, so I assume that it's full of something. Yeah, he he can't of... have very long legs. I think I just assumed he was fused to it. He might be, but it does, like, stuff <laughs> does come out. Okay. So, and sometimes it looks like he's sweating, but I'm not sure about the metaphysics of this, I'm not going to lie. Sure. Um, but you're a man in a pot. And you've got a big hammer and you use the big hammer to pull yourself up and over objects and climb things. And this is done, uh, using the mouse, which is the, that's the big difference. I, I think the thing that kind of makes it for me is that like, you're not fighting the controls, although, well, it behaves very consistently. It's very fair. And that means that, um, even though it's complete, uh, uh, <laughs> bullshit nonsense, as I think is intended to be, it does mean that I find it like, quite fun mm. at the same time um and then you know i think on the previous previously we mentioned the podcast people have talked about the trailer uh which is very good which has bennett foddy's voiceover almost like a beat poem against some jazz saying and the, the line is i made this game for a certain type of person to hurt them and um when i got that i didn't so i wasn't sure if that was a feature in the game it is the the talking is a thing um but i i wasn't sure what kind of thing it was going to be and Actually, what surprised me about um, getting over it is that it's kind of an essay as a game. Um, something that I found quite heartening early on is that at least a big chunk of the early talking, because it does some reactive talking, like, oh, you've fallen off there, that must suck, that kind of thing. But there's a lot of things that you just pass a checkpoint, or you, not a checkpoint, but you pass a, a threshold in the game and it'll you'll get some other meditation on failure or game design. And... Um, it, you know, it starts, it's explicit about the fact that it's a tribute to sexy hiking and sort of, uh, what it sort of pegs B games and games made out of found pieces and sort of, um, you know, the kind of punk fringe of, of game design. 
Um, and that's really cool. Like, I really like that. Um, and it's quite a thoughtful meditation on, um, game design and difficulty in game design and what it means to create a challenge and what it means to communicate to the player. Like the, it, what it means to reject the notion that most games share that at any challenge placed in front of the player can be overcome. There's a nice bit early on where then it talks about, um, creating obstacles for the game that he couldn't get past himself. And therefore, if he was approaching it with the mindset of a traditional game designer, you would tone down or change or modify and then realize that the point of the game is he doesn't do it. Because the basic, it's just a basic physics simulation and it's just about banging your head against it until you do finally crack it. And the fact that there's a sort of accidental nature to the challenge makes the challenge authentic in a way that, um, in the way that traditional game challenges aren't because they're designed to be solved. And it also makes it more slightly more authentic to climbing because climbing is about scaling accidental surfaces, not following a pre-planned route. Or mm. maybe that's the difference maybe between like free climbing and, you know, going to a climbing wall, that kind of thing. Mm. Most video games are climbing wall. And that's actually genuinely interesting. And I think it, um, it fits, it, I realized that it's actually in more of the sort of, uh, Stanley Parable territory when it comes to what it's offering is than I thought. It's kind of like a little essay, basically. It's an essay that won't let you hear its later sections unless you're very good at hauling yourself up a mountain side with a hammer. Mm. but uh it is nonetheless like game as bit of criticism and that's kind of cool and i i I find it funny because it's also you know a profoundly silly looking uh looks like it's made in blender like um uh kind of physics game that looks very silly it's a man in a pot trying to navigate a world with a sledgehammer yeah exactly (laughs) and for that reason it's very youtube friendly like it immediately shot to uh, number one on the Steam charts, most of the big YouTubers you could name have videos of it with four to five million views. Yeah. Uh, it's been a tremendous success in what I would determine like the goat simulator vein, by which I mean make some total shit. Um, not that it is shit, but you know what I mean? Like it's. I think it will never not be entertaining to watch people be frustrated. Like, That's true. I think yeah. there's something in human nature that will enjoy those videos, right? Because. They aren't exactly checkpoints, but there are sections in the game where you will fall back to and not beyond. Right? Yes, yeah, pretty much. And so, you know, there will be sections that you repeat over and over and over, and it's as if there's a checkpoint, but it's because that's the sort of the point to which you will naturally fall mm. when you fail to climb this particular surface, right? Yeah, it has a, it has a slapstick element that mm. makes it uh, very YouTube-friendly which is something that it doesn't have in common with Stanley Parable or um, oh, what was Davey Reardon's other game? I've completely blanked. The Beginner's Guide. Beginner's Guide, right. It doesn't have in common with those games. And I kind of like the fact that it's got such a, like such a relatively sophisticated thing to say about game design and says it explicitly. And I think that's something that I will never hear because I'm so busy congratulating myself on not losing my temper, but <laughs> it is because I'm holding on by the slimmest margin of like self-control and just wishing 
that I was better at it than I am and that I had slightly more control than I do. But <laughs> but I haven't thrown my keyboard out of the window and that's a personal success. And so that's my inner monologue. And then I haven't got time for, <laughs> for <laughs> Bennett Foddy's nonsense. Like I can hear him talking in the background. I will never be able to tell you what he said because I'm just so busy going... Well done. You haven't lost your shit. <laughs> See, I've been quite enjoying it. I find it quite relaxing. I thought I did, but then I realised that I was just telling myself that I did because I was going to go crazy. You see, when I started playing it, um, something he says in the trailer is, I could have done a very different game. I could have made a game that saves your progress. So I actually, it says you, it tells you early on, well, don't worry, we'll save everything you do, including the mistakes. And I assume that was a lie. So I played it for half an hour thinking, I'm losing all of this project progress when I, when I quit the game. And I was completely okay with it. It's like, I'm just going to see how far I get. And actually it does save your pro- progress. It, it saves exactly what you were doing, basically like even the position of the mouse cursor. Right. What that means is you can't quick save. So you can't get to the top of the section and then load your way back up. Right. If you fall back down to one of those sort of like kind of catch, catch, catch areas, mm. then that's where your save will be. Right. Um, but it does save. And so I don't know. It is frustrating. Uh, it's got some good Steam reviews, some well-written Steam reviews. Um, one of them is simply like, this is a game that uses uh, only three inputs, the mouse, alt, and F4, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I quite liked. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, um, yeah, so far, like, you go through, like, periods of kind of, like, um, giddy kind of, like, acceleration and climbing, and then there's some very kind of frustrating bits and some bits where you have to slow down and make force yourself to be patient and kind of work your way through it. And then uh, there's also just like, when you do fuck up, there's a kind of catharsis to that. It's like, I've all, I've fallen all the way the fuck off this mountain now. And it is my fault. And Bennett Foddy reads you a quote by CS Lewis about failure and you just move on or don't. Mm. And that's fine too. Mm. <laughs> but I think the thing that, uh, you know, um, it almost doesn't bear too much over description because it's such a simple thing. Mm. But I think the thing that I think took it from like, because when I was hearing uh, Tom F. describe it, it was kind of like, this is just a pure masochism. And it's a sort of an act of kind of, the, the I, I assumed that the point he was making is that games can lead you into doing any kind of repetitive task in the name of winning. Right. right. Um, but actually I don't think it's quite at the expense of players, even as much as it says, like it says, you know, I made this game to hurt a certain kind of person. I don't think it really does. Like I, and I, I think it has a, a more kind of, um, a less wholly cynical thing to say about game design than that. Um, the, you know, the, um, it is ultimately like completely, um, honest with you about what it is. And I think that's quite refreshing and actually is honest about its influences as well, which is also refreshing. Um, and a celebration of those influences. And I like that this game that has received so much mainstream YouTube coverage and it's been on the top of the steam charts and then it costs Fiverr, um, might make people more aware of sort of, um, kind of fringe game design or kind of like that kind of, do you think that they actually see those things, those qualities that you have um, have highlighted, or do you think that, or do you think that it has been a sort of a novelty in the Goat Simulator? So vain. I was I was so curious, so I had to look at YouTube 
uh, this evening. And there is now a like uh, Markiplier video about sexy hiking with okay. the kind of like, this is the game that he meant, you know, uh, it, it's Markiplier plays the game mentioned at the start of getting over it. Right. You know what I mean? Interesting. So that's definitely like a few million people who will see that now that would never have seen it otherwise. Mm. Which is genuinely interesting, right? Like, yeah. you know, there isn't, um, that kind of attention hasn't been sort of directed at like, I don't know, like, uh, uh, Stephen Catamite's games by a, a source like this, right? Mm. You know, th- it's nice to see those kinds of unawareness, those kinds of games spread to a part of gaming that isn't likely to read the typical articles that direct people to those kinds of experiences. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's just, cool. that's just a cool thing. Cause you know, because no amount of, um, I mean, I say this fondly, no, 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 no quantity of PC gamer or RPS articles about these kinds of games will get a certain quant- portion of the audience to be aware that they exist. Mm. And, but a Markiplier video will. And that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah, so. no, that's interesting. I think it's one of those things where, like, I was just sort of struggling to see whether it was one of those things that was going to get dismissed as sudi if you took it too seriously. Yeah, I think it, you know, I, I think it's a nice way of delivering. Uh, it reminds me, it feels to me like either a GDC talk or like a Video Brains talk or something like that okay. delivered as a game. Hmm. So yeah, it's sudi and. You know, um, it is a piece of games criticism. And if you don't want that, then you can switch off the... Well, actually, you don't think you can, can switch off the audio. But you can put some music on and just play it as the funny hammer climbing game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's reasonable. That's interesting. We've had very different experiences of that fucking game. What was, so you just... Frustration was your... I think it was that thing where I'd convinced myself that I wasn't frustrated. And then by the time I left, I was so angry that I never went back again. <laughs> so, yeah, that was a thin veneer <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that peeled away pretty damn quickly. <laughs> Maybe I was just in the right mood for it. Maybe I'll go back and hate it. Yeah, I think it's... I, I'm not very patient, so... Mm. I was never going to develop the sort of mouse control that you actually do need. Like I, I, I saw someone playing it today and they had a lot more of a feel for, for actual sort of finer control of the mouse to right. actually, you know, ne- negotiate particular sections. Whereas I get to the flailing point really quickly. And sometimes that will catapult you up the side surprisingly quickly. Mm. But once that doesn't work, sometimes I'm back down screwed. again as well. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's like, oh, well, the, your game's broken. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't win. Exactly. Like, this is too hard. I'm bored. I'm going to play Animal Crossing. <laughs> <laughs> See also why I'm not interested in the Dark Souls remaster. Yeah, quite. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Praise uh, the sun. Praise my bum. <laughs> there we go. See? <laughs> Some grown Nice. Up- grown-up uh, grandstanding. That's, that's possibly right one of the best things that's ever been written about Dark Souls. Thank you. And you said it out loud rather than write it down. I'll yeah. write it down. Thanks. Good. Put it it's in right. the notes. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll be fine. <laughs> that's some games criticism right there. Indeed. Mm. Should we do some questions? Yes. You got some questions from the internet for Pip Ooh. and Chris. Mostly Pip. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I'm not usually here anymore, am I? No. <laughs> no. Found you on Little Grey Cells, though. Yeah. Which will be returning soon. 
Yeah, we're going to try and record one this weekend. Um, okay, our first question comes from Alex, who writes, a rare question, no, a question for the rare pip, which has appeared. <laughs> Actually, not a question, just how are you and how is life as a big shot PC gamer in Tero Bang? Um, <laughs> bonus real question, is the Georgia Aquarium the best in the world? Or if we had one chance to go to one aquarium worldwide, where should we go, Alex? So I feel free to answer all of the above. Things are well. I'm enjoying PC Gamer. That's nice. Um, and I think I will always love to go to Georgia Aquarium just because I love checking in with the whale sharks and the sea dragons. And, you know, they have so many really awesome exhibits and like mm. creatures with real, you know, little personalities and stuff like the little, you know, the beluga whales and the. I mean, the, um, yeah. Yeah, the blue girl is very characterful. Yeah, and the penguins, the African penguins and the sea otters and things like that. So cool. Mm. Um, but yeah, so there's, uh, that is a, a personal favourite, but there are loads that I would love to go to. So, you know, Monterey Bay Aquarium is one of those. Mm. So, um, and I really like the Bristol Aquarium because it's got, a good seahorse program and a very good seahorse cool, program uh pacific uh octopus uh yeah called i think her name's luna mm. um yeah and i really like uh there's an aquarium in berlin um sort of near the zoo i think might be attached to the zoo um and they had some amazing jellyfish displays when i was last there so that was really cool mm. Mm. good I suspected we'd get a good answer to that question. <laughs> but yeah, I always try and sort of check out the the ethics of the place as well, you know? Mm. Try. <laughs> Next question comes from John Roberts, but not that John Roberts, a different John Roberts, but he nonetheless writes a question about art, which is confusing. Huh. Uh, which real art style, watercolour, ink, etc., would you like to see in games more, like Akami's ink-drawn look? Oh, Okay. Um, so the like, style rather than the, the medium, right? Yeah. Or like the style of traditional art or like physical art, I guess. So I really loved Sacramento because it was an art style you don't usually see. Mm. It was watercolor sketches and very bright and kind of loose. Um, and I'm guessing that in games that's not as easy to translate because you want actual sort of hit boxes and stuff, you know, like you, you don't get to be as quite as loose i guess yeah it depends on the game i suppose yeah but i mean maybe it's it's it might be difficult to to make those edges seem mm. loose if you see what i mean rather than cut out right mm. Mm. um the collage atlas is another sort of amazing one in terms of you know pen like line work and just really fine um pen drawings and things um but yeah i kind of i miss the sort of the bright loose watercolors that's not a common style in video games and i think it could stand to be to be more so mm. yeah i think i agree mm. yeah i don't think i've anything to add to that really i like more sort of yes less reliance on sort of cleanly defined shapes is something that i think video games have a kind of technical challenge to overcome Mm. Kind of implementing those things. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Texture as well would be cool mm. to sort of get more of a feel for. 
Next question comes from Bean, who writes, Dearest Crate and Crowbar, following the super recent news of the Dark Souls 1 uh, remaster, I saw the below image and was briefly very excited. What completely inappropriate feature would you love to have included in a remaster? Fondest regards, Bean. So the image is, so this is, requires a little backfilling. So Dark Souls remaster was announced today at a Nintendo, Nintendo live stream, uh, cause it's coming to the Switch. And it was announced alongside a new Switch version of the most recent Donkey Kong Country game, I think. But this, uh, Donkey Kong Country game has a funky new mode where you play as presumably Funky Kong. And this is on the box as a sort of like, uh, peel out kind of splash image, which people have been photoshopping on other game boxes all day, thus granting them a funky tropical new mode, including Dark Souls, which is very funny. And that's the image that we'll put in the show notes. Um, so the question is really what game would you like to see get a funky new mode in this mode? Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> because I think, well, I think the games that I naturally gravitate towards tend to sort of have a sensibility where that wouldn't necessarily be at odds, right? Mm. Because I quite like upbeat games, right? Or like, right, yeah. Yeah, whereas you would be able to sort of have something funny because yes. it would be total war, funky, I, new. I, uh, well, I think there's always space for a funky new mode in total war. I was going to suggest Hellblade. Right. Because, because Hellblade, Funky Kong Sacrifice is a very different prospect to the game they did make and probably for good reason. Maybe, um, a funky, uh, bayonetta thing, just because like she's so busy being sexy, and then suddenly like someone's funky kind of. Yeah, it rarely <laughs> it rarely has a kind of the 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 funky lameness of Funky Kong is not represented in bayonetta's hair sex sexy lady. sexy jazz oeuvre. No, exactly. You see, so yeah. I, I think I think that would throw her off yeah, her gut, off, would, her, it, off her stride. Yeah, sort of this sort of in, injection of like naughties bro metal into that game <laughs> like like the guy from limp biscuit showing up really yeah you with limp biscuit i was trying to think That's of like some 41 men who have goatees was where my brain was at right there. right little goatees and shades or like blink 182 or something yeah i was thinking more along that and some 41 maybe. yeah maybe you're right yeah Sort of an offspringy kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because you can't add this to Crazy Taxi, which is the game they're already closest to. Because that <laughs> is nothing but funky new mode. <laughs> um, yeah, because obviously the obvious thing, like, I mean, you know, the Doom, official Doom Twitter account got out ahead of this today by actually just posting a picture of the Doom box with funky new mode on it. So it's kind of hard to, um, to, to think of more inappropriate venues. Well, hang on, are you 100% sure that that's not what they're now doing? Uh, uh, yeah i mean mom actually who knows honestly mm, exactly. you know 2018 who knows what's going on i right. don't that's for sure we'll find out what it's the year of in hearthstone soon won't we um it was the year of the kraken then it was the year of the mammoth now it's going to be the year of the i don't know like jackdaw jackdaws are pretty cool yeah i know i'm just a, a krakens mammoths that's like, true that'd... yeah Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a, that wasn't a dig at Jackdaws. 
To be fair, yeah, I didn't assume you were having a dig at mammoths or kraken, really. No, exactly. Anyway. Um, next up, uh, Amy writes, Dear Pip and people who are not Pip. Yay! Uh, hi. <laughs> uh, the pod has delved several times into the difficulties of making games to adequately recreate the feel of good detective fiction. The only game, to my mind, that has managed to pull this off is Her Story, and I believe this is because it's one of the few detective games where you're now not piloting the avatar of an investigator in first or third person, but directly searching through evidence in a way where your physical actions match those of the character. This approach to the genre dates all the way back to the 1930s with both mystery parties and uh, with a much greater parallel to Her Story, the crime dossiers of Dennis Wheatley, which were large case files filled with interview transcripts, photos, and even handleable samples of physical evidence or feelies. My question is this, can video games utilize this kind of approach? Is there now room alongside the current board game renaissance for a hybrid game where players can both investigate pieces of both investigate pieces of real evidence while also being able to use digital search tools, dialogue trees and the like? For the non-pips, do you think there are other game genres that could benefit from the inclusion of physical objects as part of the gameplay? A spy game with a code breaker, a stealth game with a printed map, etc. Uh, keep up the pip cast. Amy, P.S. You can still get hold of some of the old Wheatley dossiers, either originals from the 30s or very good replicas made in the 70s, for not a lot of money, and really not a money, not a money, respectively. Um, worth getting if it sounds at all interesting to you. It's a very cool email. Mm-hmm. So, okay, you'll you'll need to break it down into what the questions were. Well, so, uh, there were a few, vi- I think. So, well, can video games utilize this kind of approach? Um, so like, uh, you know, um, they have her, her story is the best example of, but also there were others that, um, I believe Amy said things about like, um, using online chat and websites and mm. that kind of stuff. And in memoriam does that mm. you sort of follow a breadcrumb trail across the internet using sort of clues and things it's more of a you know like you you solve the thing and get the next clue right yeah but um there's obviously capacity to get it wrong and there's capacity to sort of faff for ages or there was rather when it was when it was active i don't think it is anymore Mm. but um yeah so that was very much a kind of pursuing a serial killer right Mm. This is I think the inheritor, the modern inheritor, of a lot of these ideas are ARGs mm. in a big way, uh, and games have kind of tied into that. I've, I've actually completely blanked on the name of the game, but there was like a a sort of limited run mystery game that came with like a physical book and and phone numbers you could ring and those kinds of things to get evidence as a kind of big collective puzzle solving effort. Yeah, there have been a few uh, live events and things like that as well, um, where you interact with things. Um, I think one of the things which makes um, her story stand out is that you don't that you create an answer that satisfies yourself. You stop when you're satisfied, right? Mm. But like, it's not a case of that answer satisfying the game itself. There's no condition. Yeah. That you are meeting like you do in LA Noir, right? Like there's a correct answer. Right. Yeah. And a correct series of events and stuff. So I think that games, it would be cool if they played more. I mean, they, they do in sort of far more kind of indie circles and stuff, but it would be cool to sort of 
and get more of a sense of people uh, able to find ways to 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 make a game that ends but that mm. doesn't have a prescriptive ending right does that make sense yeah i don't yeah yeah it okay, does cool. um and it's something that you know um this kind of storytelling arrives in lots of different formats as well you know it doesn't have to simply be single player things like you know I, I don't talk about it a lot for reasons but this is how the storytelling and hack mode is working and how it functions and how we've written it um, and a lot of what i've been working on that game in the last six months is sort of seeding uh, mysteries and giving players the power to find clues and piece things together if they want to, uh, as a kind of approach to the game. That's an, an, an MMO. So there's lots of other things you can be doing, but going and looking for lost or encrypted or corrupted data and kind of try and piece together your own sense of what the mystery is, is something we worked on and built into the game. So the investigation can be a play style, uh, doesn't necessarily pay out in the same way that stealing things does. Mm. But it is an option and players do do it. And, uh, we're never going to tell them when they get it right, really. Um, we will sometimes, you know, something later on that might happen in the game might corroborate something that someone has assumed based on information they've dug out, or it might be complicated by some, some new development that might challenge them. But, you know, different types of games don't, in, in that kind of game, we don't have to roll credits as soon as they get it right. Yeah. You know, things just keep going because that's how history tends to work, actually. Mm. And so, you know, there's lots of different ways of approaching it. And I think, you know, that's been heavily inspired by the way ARGs work. And um, and the advantage of being an MMO in that case is that, unlike an ARG, we don't have to reach an endpoint. We can just keep going, basically. And as long as we're kind of true to what we know is the case behind the scenes, then kind of the mystery keeps rolling and that kind of thing. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense either, but nonetheless... Yeah, I think there's there's kind of uh, shades of an answer to to that. Um yeah. I I think something else that popped into my mind was the sort of the um the note taking that I did in her story. I found myself doing in various forms when playing things like um keep talking and nobody explodes or whatever mm. the game is called um because you are passing on incomplete information and sharing incomplete information to sort of wobble towards a full picture mm. and you know sometimes it helps to write that down or to sort of develop shorthand for that to solve the puzzles and things and it's obviously it's not got that human sort of psychology and sort of the the motivating factors and the you know um everything else that that accompanies a mystery story mm. but it it's got a lot of the imperfect collaboration and the physical prop as well yeah 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 that's what that i think that's kind of why it came into my head was was the sort of the games that benefit from a physical kind of element um mm. Yeah, and also there's stuff like, you know, uh, Beasts of Balance. Um, is it still called Beasts of Balance? Is it um, Fantastic Beasts or something? It's not, it was changed to Beasts of Balance from Fabulous Beasts. Okay. Yeah, of, I couldn't yeah. remember. But, yeah. um, yeah, cause that is a thing that has physical and digital components about balancing mm. pieces. Uh, it's not a PC game. It's, um, you play it using an app, but. Um, that, that's another interesting one that takes a different 
approach and also i guess you can you can sort of look at the the manifestation of of games in physical spaces through merchandise as well i mean that's maybe getting a bit off topic but it's a way that people try to incorporate elements of games into their physical lives in interesting ways mm. like you know you can kind of watch a blizzard cinematic for overwatch and get a feel for what they might advertise right i saw the the one about may um and her ice station and stuff and i was like i bet they market those slippers those mm. little monster slippers and yeah you can buy those <laughs> right yeah it's so it's kind of interesting like the ways in which those spaces are now crossing over because that's not just buying a thing with a logo on that's buying a thing that a character a lot of people like in a game yeah actually wore right and sort of yeah yeah cosplaying but not yeah i mean this, <laughs> this might be like um could, yeah I, I i hesitate a lot to talk about hackman because um i never want to give anything away uh but as of last night i think it's safe to say that um over christmas we soft launched a card game physical card game uh, which I think is very good. I didn't design the card game, but I helped the game side of it. Uh, the physical card game is actually a preview of the PVP system. This is going to sound mental. I appreciate that we did this, but uh, the physical card game is a preview of an upcoming update to uh, the combat system for the game as a whole. And we, we buried the rules. We sold the cards without saying what they were, which is through as much, basically the kind of nicely printed hack mud themed cards, not traditional playing cards. Uh, specific to this game and we uh hid the rules in the fiction in encrypted and corrupted data over christmas so players got to a point basically yesterday where they basically figured it out and now we've kind of like lifted the lid on that and kind of opened the secret a bit so we can answer specific rules questions and actually get onto the business of testing the game so partly that's a kind of a way of uh, having a puzzle and having a twist and having something the players didn't expect because we've done a lot of weird things and they didn't expect us to have like a physical card game alongside the game all of a sudden, that kind of thing. Um, but um, it's really cool watching people um, collaborate and create resources to help each other solve those problems as well. So it's not just about encouraging people, which we already do that in HackMud, we already encourage people to go and learn how to use QR readers to solve problems and things like that, or use real world information. But actually what the, that, the step beyond that, which I really like is when people go off and create tools, um, program their own software to solve a problem that the game has given them, because then they're kind of the world of the game gets bigger, even than the software and the official stuff to include, uh, tools that the community has made that allows them to kind of piece stuff. I think at together. this point we get into like subreddits and it, back to ARGs again and also, um, wikis and things. Yeah, and Discord sort of channels. Collaborative, yeah. not exactly problem solving, but people piecing lore together. They used to do it with the, um, grimoire cards in Destiny. Right. You know, yeah. sort of unpicking and, you know, going through, for example, a bunch of gun names to figure out like, crossover points and you know puzzle mm. all of that stuff out which is i guess another type of detective work in games where there is an imperfect answer maybe someone has it written down in a master story file over at bungie but there's also the chance that they don't mm. right yeah 
Yeah, I, I mean, I suspect that they do. Um, yeah, but like, you know, it might just be that the stuff gets unfinished or, mm. you know, the community draws a, um, a connection that actually isn't there but it never gets corrected yeah. because it's an interesting one right yeah that's so this is something i have direct experience of being on the other side of i find it i i don't i hesitate to talk about it because if anyone in the hackman community listens to this then i don't want to ever give a clue in an out of game format but yeah i think i think the most fun thing that can happen is when people are interestingly wrong and not just because they've misinterpreted information but because they've allowed their presumptions and their biases to steer them and therefore and then for their influence in the community to then steer other people and that i think is a really interesting thing when it comes to game communities and the way they record and and investigate kind of mystery fiction or this could be true of tv as well it doesn't actually mean that the connection isn't there either it just means that that wasn't what was intended well i think i like to think of it a little bit closer to how real history works where it's like um often it's impossible to get to the reality of history because you can just make the best guess you have for the information available. And so you get a lot of imperfect solutions. And it's only when something that comes along that complicates that, that people realize that maybe their initial assumptions were wrong. It's, it's for sort of sure. A- but at this point, like, but, but the difference is that in history, you are dealing with events that did happen and trying to unpick how that worked. But in games, you could either choose to follow the direction that, that things have been sort of um, molded into, yeah. or you could choose to put out there something that actually does contradict it. If you want them to pursue a different direction, or you could just leave it ambiguous, or it could just be that the community wants an answer to a thing that you, as a as a development team, haven't even broached, and so it's fine for them to sort of meander off on their own direction. But it wasn't even a branch yeah. of the law that you. For sure, like done anything with. You, yeah, because you obviously you have the opportunity to change. I think I I suspect like going beyond games, but like I think any kind of mystery storytelling, um, it gets weaker the moment you start to make changes to the core story bible in order to accommodate what the community's doing, hmm. because chances are you haven't accounted for all of the consequences for that. I think I think the TV show Lost is the clearest example of this happening, uh, and ultimately to the vast detriment of that show because they had no other way of landing it and they decided that they didn't want to do the thing that people had guessed. Um, but, um, so I'm a big fan of stick to the story Bible. Like once it's written, it's written and it may as well be history. Um, but you can just, you can do shift things about your approach. Anyway, that's, that's inside baseball stuff that, but nonetheless, like I think there's, there's mileage for more of that kind of storytelling in games. Obviously I think that because it's kind of what we're working on, but like, um, I really like, the sort of hands-off approach to like, uh, as Amy says in this question, like giving people just the box of material and allowing them to piece it together how they want. And like her story. And like you say, not telling them when they've done it right, which I think is a really cool, um, and, and it expresses a lot of confidence in the player as well. Which I think is really neat. Mm-hmm. The other side of this, which I suppose we have answered is that, um, you know, is this, is there room for more physical kind of props and things to go with games? I think that Kickstarter is exploring that because of backer mm. rewards. It's finding things that don't feel hideously superfluous or tacky mm. to entice 
you know, entice people to give a little bit more money, whether that's a physical copy of a thing, whether that's, you know, a map that accompanies something, whether it's limited edition, like, you know, posters, whether it's their face in a thing or, you know, it's Mm. kind of an interesting point where people are figuring out the ways in which their specific game could be manifest as a physical entity or as a, as an element, right? Mm. Mm, for sure, and and I suppose that sort of is is the you know probably a, a useful future for games on Kickstarter simply because board games are so much bigger than video games on Kickstarter now, like five times bigger in mm. terms of money raised and success, and that's I think because there is this hunger for uh, for physical games and for you know a sort of and maybe a better case for the kind of practical output to something like Kickstarter when that's the focus. Mm. It's just an interesting thing. Um, my next question comes from Caroline who writes, hello, I want to make a character again. My favorites have been 3d, but dream daddy's, and I think she means dream daddy's character creator was really distinguished. I thought, what character creators did you enjoy recently? What get, what let that character really shine throughout the game versus getting covered up by armor, etc." I hope you were also very well. Uh, Caroline PS attached is a brief paper on an endangered species of moth that lives off dead turtle shells. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So I was thinking this because I haven't actually played a game recently that really makes use of character creation. Like, you know, game of the year last year for me was Torment, which famously does all of this through story, like in terms of visual character creation, basically non-existent. Mm. What have you been playing recently that... So there's a few that have had character creators, probably most notably The Sims, but I actually don't like The Sims character creator. How come? Um, I think it's because I tend to either try and create myself and fail, or I just don't really like the the options that I end up with, right? Mm. Like... You know, it's things like I don't like the, um, the default set of clothes, right? So I would have to fork out money to, to get new options or fiddle right. around with mods or whatever else. And I think clothing is a big part of character in that mm. game, right? Mm. Um, and also just sort of, I think, I think it's the sort of thing where I also, I think it, it 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 can end up too granular because you can alter so many different elements of the face and without guidance you can end up with something that just looks weird or not quite what you wanted and then you spend ages faffing mm. and trying to get it to look kind of more how you how you thought and then just going oh sod it I'll random the whole thing mm. right so i yeah like i kind of struggle with the the paralysis of choice almost, um, you know, cause you can alter the cheekbones, you can alter the, uh, you know, the, 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 the puffiness of a cheek, you can alter the, the eyebrows, you can, mm. like it's, it, I, I don't like things that are too prescriptive or only give you like three options or whatever, but when it's that kind of, okay, you can do anything, then I just can't. Yeah. find my way in and I can't refine it properly and then it just takes over like three hours and and I don't enjoy myself. I've always quite enjoyed character creation um, 
I, I, I think I got a kind of eye for it after a while. Like sort of, I really liked doing it in Andromeda and I was really pleased with the, I think I said this back when I was talking about Mass Effect Andromeda when it came out last year, but like I was really pleased with my, um, rider and how she turned out and mm. how she looked over the course of the game. Uh, particularly in, in contrast to the reaction that the kind of default rider got given the animation problems that game had. I, I really genuinely liked it and I kind of kept taking screenshots because I thought she looked cool. However, I know that other people had problems with the fact that the character creator was under a certain kind of light and about three hours into the game, you got walked out into a different kind of light and you suddenly realized that your face is all weird, which I mean, to be, you know, that's not an unusual experience anyway, but, um, like, so yeah, I think I wouldn't be surprised to see games maybe move away from this sort of thing, partly because the benefit, I don't, I, 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 I've started to question a little bit, I think the benefit of it, because I know that stress is like yours and kind of worries about exactly how accurate it is and the strain of trying to make someone reflect your mind's eye when it's not exactly right is actually quite common. Like I think a lot of people bounce off for that reason. I think as well, the problem that I have when, when I'm in a situation where I feel like I'm being asked to create a version of myself is that it can tap into too many uh, body image uh, problems mm. and because that's something I've struggled with I mean broadly I'm doing okay with now but I and I think I wrote about this on RPS a f- couple of years ago but it can be really difficult when you're then stuck with this avatar and you're trying to make it reflect how you look but you aren't a reliable judge of how you look and so you just end up with this massively distorted weird thing that you can't connect with but you don't know what's wrong with it Mm. and that can actually just be quite upsetting as well and so you just end up trying to do something completely different but yeah it, it it's weird i i am not a fan of things that try and make you know, that, that sort of invite you to, mm. to create yourself. Yeah, like, yeah. That's a bit like. Yeah. Nah. I, I managed to create the most generic person alive in the, in the, you know, most generic video game protagonist man ever in the PUBG character creator. And that's a, that's a weird system. I'm not even wholly sure why it has one. Mm. Um, apart from, I, mean, I suppose it does differentiate people sort of, but. I accidentally spent Adam's hard-earned money on a shirt because <laughs> I I didn't realise that he'd been playing on the official uh, RPS account back when I worked there. So it's like sorry. <laughs> good. Yes. Uh, yeah. No. Sorry. I, I genuinely don't have a really good answer for like a good recent character creator because I just haven't played a game that has used one effectively. And like I, I say, I think I quite I like that there are there tend to be more options now Mm. because i do remember the days when i was growing up and it felt impossible to do anything that wasn't sort of fairly bland right like yeah yeah uh, it it now feels like a default that you can have brightly colored hair right Mm, that's true yeah yeah i've always been able to make alice in recent times (laughs) there's always a bright blue option right um Whereas I, I remember the days of like, you know, you, you've got very sort of, um, gender defined haircuts and, mm. you know, sort of really odd looking skin tones and, you know, just it, it, it is getting more interesting and more varied in places. So that's mm. a good thing. Um, 
sort of across the board and some people are doing interesting things with um with regard to to gender options and like ooblets is interesting because mm. i think their approach to gender is that your character is just an avatar and that you can incorporate you know any accessories you know in terms of hairstyle in terms of facial like um styling um and it's not a case of you have swapped gender or something it's just that your avatar happens to be wearing mm. that stuff at this particular time mm. and you can change it and i think that's a nice way of doing things and i think mitsu's um red shirt had a gender slider and things mm. like that so that's really cool like mm. that that those things are cropping up more mm. yeah totally mm. our final question comes from henry who writes dear ccb we've seen games especially indie titles embracing all kinds of genres but do you think an interactive broadway style musical would work I recently watched La La Land, and while now playing games, I imagine everyone, including monsters, zombies, and other foes, starting to sing and dance in the middle of a battle. But how would it work? Keep potting those casts, Henry from Germany. Uh, the clear answer to this is Elite Beat Agents. Or Crypt of the Necrodancer. Yeah, Crypt of the Necrodancer achieves this. Um, I think I must have said this on the podcast before, but like action sequences and dance sequences in films are fundamentally pretty much the same thing. And, and, and um, often have <laughs> choreography and often take about the same amount of time and, and often serve a similar purpose, uh, just to, with different methods. I don't think either works in that kind of cinematic sense in video games because you are in control. Games tend to be hundred percent action sequences because you control them, but they tend to be choreographed because you control them. Similarly, like the issue with a kind of musical theater sequence, like the kind of, particularly what he's talking about, the kind of everyone, you know, the, the opening scene of La La Land, the everyone, you know, falls into place behind one another, street-spanning dance number. The issue with that is it takes away the player's agency completely, which is something games don't want to do. Um, unless the NPCs are all following you and your lead, which is possible. But like, you know, most ryth rhythm games are, are great, but they're fundamentally Simon Says. Based, based, you know what I mean? Like you're not really kind of like controlling it or guiding it. You are, you're not playing music. You are tapping to the beat. I wonder if there's scope for something more dancey in um, fighting games. Mm-hmm because they are so reliant on executing combos and things and there's yeah, timing yeah. elements and there is a choreography element mm. to that and it's reactive, but you know, so it'd be kind of interesting to see whether there's a kind of a, a dance off lurking within that. Right. Yeah. Or, yeah. Yes. I mean, it's literally a cosmetic change to the game. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, so, I mean, I, I, I think, you know, Bayonet is basically a musical, mm. like, pretty much like enough of those fight sequences happen to a backing song and it's not quite the same it's, it's more like the, the soundtrack is great and the sort of rhythm of the game vaguely fits with it rather than it's literally a musical but like i'd say this about dmc as well a game I, I like a lot because it matches music to its set pieces in a particular way um they're more like well soundtracked cinematic moments than like musical numbers but i think a video game version of a musical would just like you say just turn that dial a little bit more explicitly to like this is a dance off 
Though, I mean, I know that I, I haven't played either of them, so I'm not going to sort of weigh in one way or the other, but I know that the, um, the two now Dominique Pamplemousse games have a reputation as, mm. you know, um, musicals. Yeah. Right? Well, yes. They're, I mean, they I are. Mean, well, they are, but yeah. I mean, that is a more explicitly perhaps what the questioner Henry is, is asking. Cool. Well, that is all of the questions we've got time for. If you would like to send us a question for each episode, you can email us at questions at com. You can tweet us at crowbar. You can hang out with our Discord community. You find the link to that on our website, com. We're on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash crowbar, and on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash crowbar. That's a lot of links that all have the word crowbar in them. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to follow us as individuals, I'm on Twitter at C Thurston, that's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. And I am at Philippa War, which is P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R. Thanks for pardon, Pip. Thank you for listening, Chris. And thank you for listening, everybody. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>